out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is The C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. Also, we love David Bowie. He was my first single, or my first single, and first album. And uh, from then on, he was with me throughout well, his life and um, up to the current day. So, um, so yes, so what am I trying to say? I've been slowly sort of tracking down lots of people who'd worked with him over those decades, including the amazing singer, performer, Ava Cherry, who I spoke to very recently, who'd worked with him on, I am um, toured with Ziggy Stardust, but also worked with him on the incredible album Young Americans alongside Luther Mandross and also Shaka Khan. And um, yes, was around with him in the 70s, mid 70s, and then has gone on to do a solo career and is currently working on various other projects that will be coming out soon. Anyway, this is the interview. And just a word up, um, I think she's driving through LA on her phone, which is kind of rock and roll. I know, and um, it does break up at one stage, but anyway, we get back together in that kind of groovy way, kind of Romeo and Juliet, but with a better ending. So, um, yes, with that in mind. So, yeah, yeah, the quality is pretty good, really, let's face it. I'm in Norwich, she's in LA, incredible. Right, Ava? Yeah, so after, you know, we had lots of chat, which is always very exciting in showbiz, and then we got down to that very exciting experience or question that uh, was the early formative years. I love that one. Anyway, Ava, tell us about those early years. Well, I mean, that really all started when I was in, in, in grade school and high school, when, that, when, I, when music started to have a big effect on me, because I was telling my friends, I mean, I was telling some other people that, uh, you know, there was a place called the Regal Theater where they had all the top artists of the day, you know, from Aretha, James Brown, Michael Jackson, everybody. Michael Jackson, when he was a little boy, all of, you know, they had all these, they had all these people in one place every other Sunday uh, in my neighborhood. And, and the, the kids just went crazy because everybody knew, like, that every other Sunday there was going to be a great lineup of like seven artists that were like super incredible. Yeah. You know? So that that was when it started when I was in when I was still like maybe seventh or eighth grade. Yes. And when did you and where and where was this? Was this LA or New York? No, this is Chicago. I was born in Chicago, born and raised in you Chicago. Always. And when did you sort of discover your voice or when did the, the sort of voice start to sort of become part of your life? Well, it, it started when I was in school because I had a little girl group, uh, two other girls, because, I, you know, I, 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 um, I had, we admired the Supremes and we admired Smokey, you know, a lot of the groups that were out at the time. And so we had a little group, you know, and we used to sing out on the street corner, you know, really, you know, snapping our fingers like they show people doing. I used to, I used to be out on the street corner of my, of my house singing with some of the other people in my neighborhood we would we would pick the songs of the day or pick a smoky song and everybody would pick you know decide who was going to be the lead vocalist for it or whatever and it really started with me very very early that i knew i wanted to be an entertainer in the entertainment industry 
Yes, absolutely. And did you, I mean, during that sort of period, during the 60s, I mean, obviously everyone has their different narrative and story. What was your kind of take on it? Because obviously so much was going on in America at that time. And, you know, for people like me, I suppose, you know, you would, you, you would sort of... Well, I mean, I was still, I was still a, a little tyke, but I, I was, a, I was like a diehard Beale fan. I mean, me and and my sister and um, our friends. I mean, they used to, they used to tease us because we used to love the Beatles. We'd stand in the schoolyard and sing Beatles songs and and things, you know. And uh, they, they were like, they liked the beat. I mean, I liked everything. I, I, I told you, I, I listened to Motown. I listened to everything. But when the Beatles came out, they really impressed me. I I was so like those songs were so like like being in love or, or loving somebody or I mean I didn't know anything about love yet, but I, they they just made you know, like uh what was I gonna say, like um I give her all my love. That's all I do and if you saw my love, you love him too. And I, I used to love singing those songs. I mean, you know, the melodies that the Beatles came out with were so incredible. Yes, you know, absolutely. You know, I, I they really did influence me bigly. Yes. Bigly. And I was going to say, because during the 60s, you know, we started with the kind of the, the kind of quite a clean cut sound and vibe and image. And then by 67, things had changed quite radically. So we had that kind of the summer of love, which was 67, where the Beatles had got Sergeant Pepper. There'd also been all those kind of, I don't know, the gathering of the tribes in San Francisco with people like, you know, the Grateful Dead and Timothy Leary with his tuning turn on dropout. And there was a lot of kind of activism going on as, at the same time. So even though you were quite young, were you... Woodstock and, and everything. I mean, like I was so impressed by, you know, uh, uh, my sister was older than I was and she was, she was like, uh, uh, you know, uh, dating an interracial guy at the time. And, and then that was a time when I looked being a, a, a teen, a young teenager, and, and saw people of the same race getting along and loving each other, talking about love and talking about, you know, you know, being together, and, and I, I remembered it so much that it impressed me that, God, is this, is this, is this really happening? That people and races are getting together, and even with all the other racial and, and strife around it, there was all these people, black and white, getting together who you saw hugging, who you saw singing together, who you saw loving each other. Yes. And I was, I was impressed by that. I was hoping and praying that that would last. Yes, and, and it sort of did and it sort of didn't. But then towards the late 60s, you know, we had all those kind of performance and theatre companies, like in San Francisco, you had those kind of crazy cats called the Coquettes, which had, um, you know, a whole group of kind of, I suppose you'd call them freaks, you know, and there was a lot of sort of camp gay, you know, lots of drug taking and, and stuff like that. And then in, in sort of New York, you had Andy Warhol and the Velvet Gold, uh, Velvet Underground. Did you, were you picking up any yeah. of that kind of scene at all? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, really, I, I really didn't start with the Andy Warhol stuff until I started hang, uh, hanging out with Bowie because, uh, you know, he was we were invited to you know, interview parties all the time. So, you know, that was when I really started discovering Andy Warhol and, and all of that and, 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 and Iggy and all of those, all of those. That was 
when I was telling you about that earlier, I was still kind of a little munchkin still. And I was just picking up energies from those things that I told you and, 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 and looking forward to the future of what music and what uh, being an entertainer might be like. Yes, absolutely. And then, and then as the sort of decade changes, obviously things kind of are quite big because, you know, people like Janis Joplin dies, Jim Morrison, then Jimi Hendrix, you know, we had, you know, um, the Charles Manson thing and Altamont. So the, the party feels like it changes quite a lot. How did you navigate into the 70s with, with that sort of period? Well, I got to tell you, when Jimi Hendrix died, it, it just took me totally downwards. I mean, downwards mentally for a minute because I just couldn't believe he was dead. I couldn't believe he was like my my guitar idol because even though I listened to Motown, I listened to the funky stuff, I was a real rock person. I loved Led Zeppelin and all that, you know, and, and Jimi Hendrix was my, was my all-time killer favorite guitar player. I used to go, um, at the time, you know, like I started working for, I, I don't know, with some of your listeners are familiar with Playboy and Hugh Hefner, but I worked for Hugh Hefner and I actually was a bunny when I was 16. They didn't know I was 16, but you know, I forged my ID and everything like that so I could work there. And I remember that I lived in Hugh Hefner's house and he had like these big, all these, these rooms, the red room, the blue room, the green room, where when different celebrities would come into town, they would stay in, in, in these rooms. And, and when Jimi Hendrix died, I remember so vividly, I went in that room and I put his, his, uh, his album on and I blasted it all the way to the top with, you know, Band of Gypsies, which was my favorite, favorite, favorite record by Jimi Hendrix. I mean, I loved everything else, but I loved Band of Gypsies. And as I, after that, I started really thinking more seriously on a professional level about that I wanted to be in the music business. But then I started as a, as a model first, you know, because that was the easiest way to get in. And I started, you know, working in New York and, and, um, and, uh, and all that good stuff. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it must be quite a strange world, actually, that you sort of um, navigated. Were you sort of, did you have any long-term sort of plans on sort of becoming a singer, but, but just, um, yes... Oh. D- Yes, 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 yes. Because when my group broke up, I mean, like, the girl, truthfully, the girl that was singing, uh, the two other girls, there was one girl, she had the best voice of all three of us, and she she decided, you know, to, I don't know, get married and have kids and whatever, and so she broke up the group, and I said, well, I'm going to just go, I'm going to make it on my own. I'm just going to do it on my own. Yes. And like I said, the the easiest way to do that at the time was to become a model, and, and that's what I did. And I started you know, professionally modeling. Yeah. Okay. And then, and then, as as the d- decade progressed, how did you sort of then sort of find yourself? Because obviously, I have to confess, when I was in that age where I, you know, like ten, I don't know, I started watching Top of the Pops, and I was into the glam stuff. And luckily, you know, it was like Sweet and Slade and Bowie, no, and Sweet and Slade and Gary Glitter. Luckily, David Bowie was my first single, my first love, and kind of a bit of an obsession because, um, you know, the first one. So when did you sort of become aware of David and, and his kind of life? Well, I became aware of him when I, was, when I was modeling in New York. I, you know, really sort of pumped up my modeling career and I, 
uh, my my agent, my manager at the time, came to me and he said, uh, "Look at this guy. This 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 new guy from England. His name is David Bowie, and I think he's going to be big. This record is really great, and uh, he's going to be coming here soon to do his first American tour." And I was like, "Really?" And uh, so he said, "Listen to it." So he gave it to me, Biggie Sardis, and I took that record home, David. And I listened to it over and over and over and over and over again. And I just fell in love with this guy. I was like, wow, this music is different and it's beautiful. You know, like Moon Age Daydream. When, when David and I finally met, he asked me what was my favorite song on that album. And I told him it was Moon Age Daydream, which I recorded. Anyway, I have a recording of that. And, uh, and uh, I just was, I couldn't believe, I said to myself, he was beautiful. He had a very unique look and style, and 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 the way he wrote. Yes, absolutely. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So when did you? I mean, obviously that he was touring because I did an interview with um, one of the the sound engineer. I think his name was Robin Mayhew, who did sort of the the Ziggy Stardust and Aladdin Sane from 70, 72, 73. So there was that particular period, and then you know he obviously decides that. Ziggy Stardust is going to die, or, or he finishes that. So then you, the you what? then you know he obviously in '73, you know he decides that Ziggy Stardust is going to be the end, and then he you know changes career again. Well, not changes career, but he changes the band, doesn't he? And he comes to to America yeah, to be a chameleon. To be a chameleon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was about David was always about when we talked, and we had very many deep conversations about you know, how he felt about himself. He felt, you know, the reason I think LGBT and, and people that are transgender and people of, of all, you know, ages and, and, and different thoughts really liked him because he accepted everyone. He accepted everyone. I mean, it was like when he was, he was interviewed by MTV and he, he lit into the guy in, in TV about how they were not, promoting Michael Jackson, who was like just as incredible artist as far as he was concerned. And why wasn't he getting the airplay that the white artists were getting? Yes. He was, he was like, you know, he was like really, David didn't have a, a racist bone in his body. If you didn't, like, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people didn't like that he and I were together because we were together all the time in those days. And, and, and he didn't care. He was like, if you don't like it, Love it. You, I don't care whether you like it or not. I like her. I love her or whatever. And, and I'm going to be with her. If that's what I want. So if you don't like it, do that. Yeah. And I admired that about him so much that he never was affected by any of that. You know, I mean, David had his faults like everybody else, but that certainly wasn't one of them. No, absolutely. No, I remember that interview that he did on MTV where he really just asked the person quite directly, you know, what, what's with just all this kind of, um, yes, why don't you play any black artists at all? So that was quite interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I, th I thought you might have just, just turned a corner there. But look, but then, but then how do you kind of meet someone like David when, you know, he's obviously from London. He, he's got, you know, he sort of decides to kill off Ziggy Stardust. He, he kind of relocates to America and does a whole, as you said, change his style and, and this kind of idea of the chameleon. So how did you get to get introduced to him? Oh, well, because like I told you, um, so my manager told me that I took the record there home and about two months later, 
uh, I, I was friends uh, uh, with Stevie Wonder, and Stevie was doing a show at Carnegie Hall, and uh, David was apparently going to do Radio City the same week as Stevie Wonder was doing Carnegie Hall. And so Stevie said to me, well, you know, after the Carnegie Hall gig, we should we give a party? And I was working at this club called Genesis, a, a discotheque in New York, and um, I asked the guy who, who owned it, could we give a party there? And he said, yeah. So it was an upscale club. And uh, so I told Stevie, and Stevie said, yeah, let's do it. So we, he gave a party after his, his incredible performance at Carnegie Hall. And, uh, you know, so I, I went to the party. I mean, I showed up at the party, of course, because it was my club. Yes. And when I, get down, when I got downstairs, my manager runs over to me and he goes, Ava, you're not going to believe this. I'm like, what? He goes, you know that guy David Bowie? I gave you his record. He's here in this party. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah. He goes, I'm going to go get him and introduce him to you. I'm like, oh, no, God. Oh, my God. Oh, my goodness. I was already, I mean, you know, and I'm not kidding, David. I was already in love with him. I was already, I, I was just, it was something about him that was uh, surreal and, and uh, untouchable almost at that moment. Like, wow. I mean, he was ethereal. And so he co- he goes over and gets in. At the time, my hair was blonde and short, and because uh, I had just done a uh, a newspaper uh, layout with my hair, they asked me if I dyed my hair platinum blonde, and I said yeah. So I I, I had it platinum blonde. So he walks over to me. He's got this electric blue suit on, and this in the real high Ziggy red, red super red hair, and and I'm like oh like like I I mean I was my my stomach was doing butterflies. He goes, he goes, he goes, this, David, this is Ava Cherry. And he said, oh, pleasure to meet you, Ava. And he kissed my hand. And I was like, ah, I can't believe this guy kissed my hand. <laughs> and he was sweet and so, such a gentleman. I mean, I always looked at Englishmen as being gentlemen. I, I never, you know, I, I hadn't, I mean, I'd been, you know, people have been sweet to me, but not kissing my hand like that. And I, and so he said, he said, I really like you. I really love your hair. And I said, I love yours too. <laughs> we both were giving each other that. And so um, while we were down there in this party, it was like, you know, Aretha and Stevie and Gladys and, 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 a, and a bunch of artists all down in this party after Stevie's concert. And we and there was a song on it. Everybody was singing out loud, like, you know, in the, in the room. And I started singing too. And so David looks at me and goes, "Oh, you a singer?" I said, "Well, I'm not. I'm not a professional professional, but I but I can sing." He goes, "Yeah, you sound good." He said, "He said, listen, um, I I have something that you might be interested in." And I'm like, "What?" He goes, "Well, I'm getting ready to do a tour in Japan, and and I need a singer. Uh, I need a, a background singer. And would you be interested?" I'm like, "You want me to come and sing with you?" He goes, "Yeah." I'm like, oh, wow, yeah, wow. <laughs> and so he said, um, listen, you, you're going to have to meet my manager. My manager's going to have to, you know, also like you. And so could you meet me at RCA tomorrow? And uh, and then maybe you could do a little audition for us, and then my manager will be there, Tony Dupree. I said, okay. So I showed up at RCA the next day, and it, the spiders were there. It was all Mick Ronson, and everybody was there. It was the first time I met them. 
And uh, so they, they they picked a song. I can't remember what the song was. Um, but I got up there and I sang. And so his manager said, yeah, yeah, she's pretty good. So let's do her. So next thing, so David comes up to me and goes, you're in, mate. <laughs> I'm like, really? He goes, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's going to be about a month and then we're going to meet in Japan. We'll send you the records. We'll send you, get your tickets, get your passport together. But I couldn't believe what was happening to me. I felt like I was in like some kind of dream or something yes. because it just came it just hit me in the face like out of nowhere you know what I mean yeah. I, mean, I knew I was destined for something but I didn't know it was going to be David Bowie and I didn't know David Bowie was going to be an idol and, a, and, a, and an icon I didn't know any of that I just thought he was just an incredible uh, artist so the next thing I know I'm, I'm you know I had, I had my apartment in New York I had my job and everything like that and uh, I said well listen David I'm going to have to quit my job and, 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 and go to Chicago because I got to say goodbye to my parents. I, I want to see them before I, I start touring or anything. He, he goes, okay. So I quit my job. I got rid of my apartment and I come back to Chicago here. And I'm all excited and everything like that. And then a week later, a telegram comes and the telegram says, oh, dear Ava, so sorry, but David became ill and we had to cancel the tour in Japan. <sighs> And, and we'll reach out to you again some other point. Or something. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm like, oh, God, no. It was like disaster. It felt like disaster. That's what it felt like. And and, and, and I, my mom, I started to cry. I was just like, you know, for a couple of days I cried. I was just so, first of all, I was in love because we had spent some time together uh, after the, the business we had had dinner and hung out and everything. And and then secondly, I, I, I thought maybe I was going to miss an opportunity. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. So it just so happened. I, I'm sorry I have to tell the story this way because this is the way it happened. Mate. Yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, cool. Um, but, uh, so um, then uh, there had been a guy in, in New York, uh, who shall be nameless, <laughs> who had, who had a, a place in the south of France, in Monaco. And he had asked me when I was living in New York, you know, would I like to spend, uh, you know, the summer in Monaco? And I'd never been to Europe at all. And I was like, man, no, the guy was a little bit older than me. I really wasn't interested in him like that or anything. And so I told him no. But when that happened, I was put my thinking cap on. I was like, how can I get to Europe? That was, that was all I could think of. How can I get to Europe? I got to find David. I got to find David. That was all my only motivation. I was obsessed with finding him. And so I called up the guy and I go, uh, hi, this is, did you ask me, you asked me if I, you know, wanted to go to Monaco for the summer. And I, I think I changed my mind and I'd like to go. He goes, Oh really? All right. I'll send you a ticket this day, this day. And then I'll pick you up at the airport. So he sends me the ticket and I'm on the plane, almost landing into Monaco. I couldn't believe this place looked like a fairy tale. Mm. I'd never seen any place like this in my life. I'd never been to Europe. And I was like, wow, this is going to be some adventure. I, I said to myself, so I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready for it. So we land and, you know, and I'm hanging out with this guy who I really don't want to be with. And But I saw it as I had heard that David would, would go back and forth to France, to Paris. So I, so that was what I was trying to get there. So I got to the south of France. I'm, like, I'm, I'm at least to the south of France, right? So I hang out with this guy for a while. And then finally he goes, you know, you're not really liking me that much, are you? I said, well, I don't like you, but I just don't feel I'm, I really, I, I've got to find David Bowie. He goes, okay. 
So I, so he goes, I, I said, I, I, I want to go to Paris. So he goes, okay. So, you know, gives me some money. I said, well, where do I go? <laughs> he said, well, you should go, when you go to Paris, you should go to the Boulevard Saint-Germain and you should, and you should, uh, you know, there's, that's where all the celebrities go and the beautiful people go uh, and sit and have drinks. So, so I get there, I took the train, I get there, I have my models book with me. And I, and I go walking to Cafe de Flore and, and I sit down in the Cafe de Flore and, and after about 15 minutes, I'm looking around and, and I, I had learned some French, some in, <laughs> in, in school, but not fluent. Je parle français maintenant très bien, though. But anyway, um, so I, I, all of a sudden I go, does anybody in here speak English? <laughs> this guy, this guy. This cute guy, I think he was from North Africa. His name was Jocelyn. You know, he was a North African. He comes over to me. He goes, "I speak English," and he, um, he. So we started talking. Talking. He sits down. He worked for Charuti, which is a very high fashion house. And in, 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 you know, you know Charuti. Have you heard of Charuti? Charuti. No, I haven't actually. Oh, big fashion house. Okay. All right. Anyway, make a long story short. I see. He goes, "Well, what are you? Where are you staying?" I said, "Well." I checked into this woman's hotel and not far away from here. And I have my book because I would like to, I told him I was looking for David Bowie. He didn't really know who David Bowie was either. And, and I told him that I, I uh, you know, I was staying in this hotel and I had my book and I was trying to get an agent. So he goes, oh, well, listen, listen, I'll help you. You could stay at my house. I'm like, I can't. And the great part about it is that he was gay, and I knew he wasn't gonna like be trying to get me. So I was like feeling really good about it. You know? Yeah. I said, okay. he said, you can stay at my house, and I'll help you get an agent. I know a lot of agents in town. I said, I, I couldn't believe I was so lucky. I couldn't believe <laughs> that the things happened. It was like a fairy tale. It was like a fairy tale, like you, like Cinderella, you know, stepping into the shoes. And so um, he takes me to his house. I had my own room. It was really neat, um, and and he got me an agent, and I, I I started working. I started working. They sent me to Greece. They sent me to Spain. They sent me in everywhere doing doing gigs. I was in I was in French uh, French Vogue, Perry Match, uh, and and um, so he, he just kind of took care of me. And all this time, so in other words, in a, in a nutshell, I was in Paris eight months looking for David. Eight months. If I heard his name, I would ask people, well, what does that mean? Did you see him? Or, you know, whatever. But I, but in the meantime, I had a job. And I, in the meantime, I was I was enjoying myself in Paris that I'd never been to Paris before. And, and so anyway, after about eight months, I was kind of getting despondent. And I said, oh, boy. I'd heard he'd been in and out, and I missed him. So I'm, I'm in I'm in this bar one night and I'm sitting at the bar having a drink and uh, I hear them speaking in French and they say oh you David Bowie and I hear David Bowie and I'm like I go running down to the other end of the bar and I said excuse me excuse me to idea uh, David Bowie because we we il est là bas chez Castel he's over in chez Castel which was a very upscale very fanfan de fanfan club in Paris and I, I was like. Really? He goes, yeah. So I go running over there. Like, I mean, I, I I was dressed nicely, but I wasn't dripping in diamonds and pearls or anything like that. And I and I and I go running over there, and it had a stairwell that went down. And I go and I go in, and I'm looking down the stairwell, and I see David, and I see Stewie, who was his 
who was his uh, his bodyguard, Stewie. He was he was in his, he was caught me, mate, and all that. And uh, and, uh, and so Stewie sees me, and he comes he comes up. He goes, Ava, what are you doing here? I'm like, I came to find David. He goes, you came to find David? I'm like, yeah, I've been in town for eight months looking for David. And 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 you know, he goes. Oh my God! Oh my God! He goes. The governor's gonna really be happy to see you. <laughs> really? He goes. He, goes he, he takes my hand. He goes. Call him the governor, mate. You know, he's the governor. He's called the governor. And so he takes me. He takes me over, David. David is the meantime been sitting there with this girl, this woman that's dripping in diamonds and pearls. And he was talking to her. He had his head turned her way. And then I come up and I'm standing in front of him and he turns around and he looks at me. He goes, Ava? I'm like, I'm like, David. He goes, what are you doing here? <laughs> I'm like, I came to find you. I came to find you because you couldn't just leave me like that. Because just leave me. <laughs> he goes, you came all the way over here just to find me? And I said, yes. He goes, wow. <laughs> Wow, that's wow. So then he, he was he was talking to this woman, and he goes, sit down. I sat down on the other side of him. I don't know what he said to the woman next to him, but all of a sudden he turns around to me and goes, let's go. And he takes my hand, and we get into the limousine, and we go off to Deauville to that beautiful studio, that, you know, 17th century studio there mm -hmm. that was like the, the height of romance. That's how it happened. Wow. And when and when you went to the studio, did you start did you do any recording or just hanging out still? Yeah, yeah, he started doing demos on me. You know, trying different things. Um uh there was uh, oh, who, I mean there were a lot of songs. Yeah. He ended up just ended up doing Was he at that Yes. And then, um, so and what's then the, the next thing I knew, uh, uh, okay, okay, so then I went, he, he said, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, go back to, to, to London, but then I'm going to send for you to come to London so we can do some more. So I'm like, well, when is that going to be? So it's like, it's like a month. And so I said, okay. So a month went by, I didn't hear from him. And, well, of course, it's hard for me to hear from him because I had to go into my agency. They were, I don't think the guy had a phone that I was in, but he didn't have a phone, so I had to go to my and I didn't hear from him. So then I called the studio after a month, and Nick was there, Rockson, and I said, Nick, where's David? He told me to call him in a month. He's going to send for me. He goes, oh, Ava, I, I, he went to Spain or something. He goes, but I'll tell him. Then you probably said, could you, could you please just ask him to call me? Yeah. Here's my I, number. Ava. Ava, I was just going to say, you've gone... Nick Rockson was such a sweet guy. He was so sweet. Yes. He was so challenged. You know. so, so anyway... Ava, you've I, gone a bit so quiet, anyway, um, actually, on I, this. I get this. So, what happened? Um, oh, that's better. Right, right, right. So, I, he said, call me back in a couple of days, and maybe I'll talk to him or whatever. Blah, blah, blah. So, I called him back, and he said, yeah, I spoke to him. And he said, to tell you that he was going to call you next Tuesday at your agency at 10 a.m. and to be in your agency. And I said, okay. So what had happened was is that my agency 
wouldn't give me my passport or my book because they say I owe them money from that I hadn't paid them when they when I got the gig and they didn't get all their money out of me or something. And they wouldn't give me my passport or my book. So I was like, oh, my God, how am I going to get out of this country? I haven't got a passport. Mm. Uh, and uh, so anyway, I said, but I'm going to go. I said, listen, I'm expecting a call from London uh, on Tuesday at 10 a.m. from David Bowie. And, and, and could you please, you know, because they were like, you, you're expecting a call from David Bowie? <laughs> That's funny. Oh, yeah, right. Okay, sure, you're, you're expecting a call from David Bowie. I'm sitting there at 10, 10 a.m., the phone rings. And I hear the operator go, hello, I'm a cherry, David Bowie, alone. And I, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. My eyes popped out of my head. And, and I get up and David, it's, it's David, Ava. He said, do you have a passport? I'm like, no, I don't. They took my passport. They won't give it back. He goes, okay, give me all the information. I'll get the passport for you. And we're going to fly you in here next week. Sure enough, I got my, my passport. And everything, and then I was on a plane to London. Wow! And that was he was he was living at Oakley Street at the time. Yes. And that was, and then they put me in a hotel, and uh, until <laughs> until uh, I guess Angie must have said, "Well, why doesn't Ava stay here? Because there's plenty of room." And David was like, I, "I don't know if that would really be a good idea." So she said, "Oh, of course it is. Of course." It is. So anyway. I, I stayed with them for a while. Yes, and, and so I had to get my own place. <laughs> and so, so you were based in London for uh, for this period. What what was the kind of? Hello? I was going. I was saying you Hello? were. Are you still there? Hello. Hello. God, I'm here. I didn't can you go. Hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? How come that? I can. Trying to figure out how come that can't hear you. No, no. It's don't. telling me private mode. Oh okay, look. Okay, use hands set free. Oh no. okay. Can you hear me now? I can hear you. Can you, okay. can you hear me? I, I just put you up. Yeah, my phone, too. When I stopped driving, it put me on private mode, which meant be on my handset. So I'm on my handset now. Oh, okay. good. So I was just going to say, you were based in London at this stage. And then what was the album that you started recording with David at this stage and, and start working towards? Well, um, I really... It was really more about uh, doing other things rather than starting the album yet. We didn't start doing that. What we started doing is we did the Omar Key. We did some gigs in London. He started to try to get the press to get to know me a little bit and everything and, you know, just try to sort of uh, slowly introduce me to, you know, the media. Yes. And so we didn't start, we actually didn't start recording, really recording seriously, like the astronauts and stuff like that until we, we did a little bit of it in London, but until we got to New York. Yeah. And then did you, were you working on the, the Young Americans album? And did you, was this the period that, that, that David goes from pinups, Diamond Dogs to Young Americans? Were you starting to record any of that material? Well, what happened was is that, you know, when we were still in London doing the, you know, doing the, the you know, trying to, for him to try to introduce me to the media and try to introduce people and, and get them used to seeing me in his sphere, um, he said to me, you know, after I do this uh, 1984 show, uh, I want to do a soul band because I love soul music and I love, you know, Aretha Franklin and, and Marvin Gaye and Michael Jackson and all that. And I want to do, I want to do like a soul record. And he goes, where should I go? I said, well, I think we should go to 
the Apollo, which is where a lot of you know, uh, great artists performed, like like the Regal. It, it was even more. The Apollo was even more. And uh, I said, we should we should go there and and and, find, and we could find a band if we go there. He goes, really? So it, what happened was after we did the marquee, uh, the marquee and nineteen eighty four show and all that other stuff, he said, okay, I'm going to send you back to New York, and then I'll be there in a couple of weeks, and then we'll go to the Apollo. And that's what happened. He sent me to New York first. He got a hold of some people that put him in touch with people like Carlos Alomar and and um, and Carlos set it up for us to meet them at um, the uh, Apollo. Yes. And that's where he gets. So at that stage, he'd sort of like the band had changed a lot. So the the spiders, including Mick Ronson. Oh, the spiders were over. The spiders were over. The spiders were over. But, but the funny thing about it is that I really didn't know totally what happened with them. I just think David just wanted to go solo, but he didn't discuss that with me. I mean, he discussed a lot of things with me, but his uh, leaving the spiders, he didn't discuss. No. So I didn't know what happened, really. Um, all I know is that he wanted to be a solo artist and that he wanted to, to have an American band. American band. So when we when we went, when he came and met me in New, in New York, we, we showed up at the Apollo... You know, we get out of this limousine. There's all these black people on, on in Harlem, and and they see him get out with his red hair and his electric suits, and me with his money. They were like, "Who are these people?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They were like, "What's this? Who's that guy?" I said, "It's David Bowie." They said, "David Bowie?" I said, "Yeah, David Bowie." And then and they were like, "Oh, they were they were really into it." They were like, "Oh, okay." So we went inside, and it was a. We saw, you know, the Temptations, Sinners, uh, um, Richard Pryor. We saw all of these different, you know, acts performing that night. And David was just so chuffed with, you know, you know, seeing all these great greats that he, you know, grown up with. And um, and then and then he talked to uh, Carlos at the end and told him that. He was going to do a soul band, and in 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 uh, he could Carlos put help him to put some musicians together. But at first, well, he had already booked um, Sigma Sound, and the the you know you know the Sigma Sound they did all the Philly Sound and everything of all the great artists there. You know, um, they he had asked them to to play on the album, but they they said no. And you know, I think they were afraid to work with a, with a, with a white artist at the time. At, at that time, yes. they were kind of afraid. Yeah, so they didn't. They, he had asked the, all of them. You know, all uh, uh, James, uh, not James Jameson, but he had asked all of those guys at Philly Sound would they would they work, and they said no. So David, you, but David was so cool. He was like, okay, so I'll get I'll get another band. And so he, so Carlos put together, uh, you know, a bunch of musicians, and um, and they were great. We we just went in and and did our thing. Well, absolutely. And this was kind of seventy five. So there, there's some really lovely shots actually I've seen of of people doing the vocals and doing the kind of chorus and and sort of getting the harmonies right. So you were very much part of that whole process of putting this kind of album together. So you must have seen how it all developed, which must have felt quite an amazing insight. And I suppose at the time you took it, took it for granted. But you do you have, um, yes, is your memory, what's your oh, memory no, of I that? Didn't take it for, I didn't take it for granted. I, I felt 
Yeah, I mean, I was, I was, I was part of the group. I was, I was David's girlfriend as well, and so I felt very ensconced. I, I, I felt like, you know, I knew everything first before everybody else knew it because David would tell me the night before, you know, what we were going to do. So I, 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 um, I knew, you know, who, you know, if Bruce Springsteen was going to show up or this person or that person, and um, you know, it, it was, it was just an amazing amazing uh sessions they were amazing sessions it was like you know and they were but also they were very difficult they were hard david gave us some very hard you know harmonies and ways that he wanted us to sing like luther the way he wanted luther to arrange the things in there and it was hard work it was not it was not a walk in the park you know what i'm saying especially that song right yes it was really difficult that song um, but it was a, a beautiful experience just in listening to David do his tender, tender side, his his uh, his uh, his R and B side, <laughs> his yeah. R and B side. So were you so that must have been an amazing experience because he that that album was recorded for the latter half of nineteen. Um, 74 for nearly six months so you must have seen if you you were literally there listening to David talking about it so you must have seen that whole creative process of the album to come together because it hadn't been you know he hadn't demoed it and got it ready he was doing I it. saw the whole creative process everything things that he took out things that he put back in everything you know things that didn't work and then we went on to another song Oh yeah. yeah, there was a lot of that. There was a lot of that, but it still did. It still went on fairly smoothly compared to some other sessions. Yes, well, absolutely. And there's and obviously that little clip of re you rehearsing, getting the vocals on right, is kind of become sort of kind of a legendary little bit of film, isn't there? Because the the vocal complexity of those harmonies. Oh my God. And yeah, right, right is the name of the song. Yeah, R I G H T. Uh, yeah, it was. It was. It was. Um, it was something that was a good learning experience for me. You know, being a fledgling professional, Luther had already been singing some and and, and doing things. Uh, and he, it was his, you know, real big crack at arranging. You know, for for David and David had like so much respect for him and so much. You know, he he really felt that Luther understood, you know, what he was trying to do. And, yes. and, and, and he did. And obviously that must have been quite a, a heady time because you had people like John Lennon coming by to do his, um, you know, doing the song. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that wasn't in those sessions. We did the, the John Lennon, we did at Electric Ladyland in New York. Right. And uh, yeah, it was, it was just us with with John because John didn't want to be around a whole bunch of people. He just wanted to be with you know whoever was doing the session, and man, he was just a living doll. He was he was the nicest guy. He was so sweet, and so was Yoko. She was a doll. Yes. And I discovered that Yoko Yoko was a women's liver. That's why the rest of the Beatles didn't like her because she was like for women's rights. I discovered that yes. when we were hanging out together. But that day that we went to, like you know the you know the the Bowie is a, uh, exhibit that they had in all the countries yes. around the world. Yeah. Well, I represented it here in Chicago, and um, I was in there doing a an interview for WTTW about the about it, and one of the guys said, "Well, so did you know that uh, about this page out of David's?" Um, 
his uh, diary that he he mentions you about when he did when he did same. I'm like, and I had not seen it. David, they had torn a picture out of David's uh, one of his diaries, and it, it said, "Today I introduced Ava to a Beatle, and named John Lennon, and we are recording same at Electric Ladyland." Wow, that's a nice moment. And I I saw it in black and white, and I'm like. God, I didn't know he wrote that. <laughs> I, I wasn't, you know, he always kind of kept a diary kind of thing, but, you know, because it would help him with writing. He would, he would, you know, he would write to some of the things that he wrote. So, um, and and so John was just, uh, he says, oh, I wonder if John really wears those granny glasses. <laughs> and, and and so the doorbell rings and John, John the, the door opens and John is standing there with the granny glasses on and David turns on me and goes, ah, he's got the granny glasses on, oh my God. He's like so, so, so amused and so happy to uh, to be around John Lennon. It, they had the best, best friendship. Yes, absolutely. So that was kind of 75 time and obviously that, you know, as with everything, it, um, so it must have been a bit of a difficult kind of watching it sort of come towards the end of the recording. And then also you were drifting away as well with the kind of the with the relationship as well, weren't you? Well, yeah, I mean, the thing is, um, I, I I never thought I didn't know what was going to happen. So I wasn't preconceived. OK, this is going to happen. And I'm starting to feel I mean, when when things happened that I did not, that I wasn't happy about, it was, it, they happened suddenly. Like, you know, all of a sudden David had discovered that he, that he was being ripped off, you know, his money was being ripped off at Main Man. And so he was like, so totally upset. And he, he, he was really, he was really tearful and everything, you know, I was like, and I saw for the first time him, I never saw him that upset. In my in in the whole time I'd been with him, I mean David and I never had an argument or a fight. We didn't fight or any of that stuff. I mean I just we got along really well, and 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 I loved him. You know I respected and loved him. So when that happened, and all of a sudden I saw him saw him start to unravel a little bit, I was like, oh my God, what is happening? You know, because I was still young and I didn't know what to do. I was just trying to be of moral support as best I could, but I didn't know the intricacies of what was going on in business and all that. You know, I wasn't really business acumen then. I didn't have that together. I was, you know, which is, you know, which I suffered for later that I did not really deal with the business side of it more. Um, but I just, I just remember that he was saying, I'm, my whole life is falling down around me, you know, People are ripping me off and blah blah blah, blah. and then that then I remember he said, "Listen, I've got to go to L.A. I got to go by myself. I can't take you with me." I bet it, it was like it was like one of the most horrible times in my life. That I I felt like I was being separated from something that I I cared about so much. Yes, because so did he? Was that the meeting that he had with? Um... Tony DeFries and Lawrence Mayers, was that the one or was that a different one? Well, I don't know about the meetings that they had. All I knew was when he's, he, we were in New York and he said, everything is terrible. It's really bad. And then I guess they took their meetings. And then the next thing I knew, he was in, he, he went to LA to meet with Michael Lippman, who was his lawyer after that. 
Right. So that was Michael Lippmann. Yes, it was a very tricky one. So was that the last time you saw David? No, no, no. Mm-mm. No. No, that wasn't the last time I saw him at all. <laughs> no, no. Then well, what had happened was my girlfriend, who was a playmate, a play, playmate, very sexy girl, it was, had been my friend for years, she happened to be in town, and he, he, he I, I, she, she, she called me up the night before I was actually supposed to leave, and David was supposed to go to L.A. And she, she called me, and she goes, I go, she, her name was Claudia, and I said, hey Claudia, and she goes, hey, what's, you know, what's going on? And so I was sounding kind of down. She goes, what's wrong? You don't sound so happy. I said, well, David and I are getting ready to leave each other for the moment and I don't really know what's going on and I'm just feeling really unhappy right now and I don't know exactly what I'm going to do and I'm I'm feeling kind of just lost and um, she said what you have to she said is he going to take you with him to LA I said no I'm going to stay here he had got me an apartment but I didn't I'm just all by myself I didn't know what was going to happen you know I hadn't talked to main man it was a mess so I, 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 that's why I really believe my guardian angel was over my shoulder all the time. He said, I said, but I'm going to have to leave here. He goes, I, you stay there. I'll be there tomorrow. You just stay right there and you pack your bag and I'll be there and I'm going to come get you. I was like, you are? He goes, yeah. He said, I'm going to go to Jamaica and the Caribbean, whatever. I'll take you with me. I was like, oh, thank you, God. <laughs> because I, I mean, every time I thought I was in a pickle, something happened, and then and, and my guardian angel pulled me out of it just like some stroke of luck. Somebody came along and just said, ah, come on, let's go. She came the next day, and she comes in, and she was one of these little ballsy girls, you know, like just, she was like sexy as hell, but she thought like a man, and she would do like business deals like a man would do. And so, And she was a Capricorn like David. Came in, and she goes, I said, this is David, David Bowes, this is Claudia, Claudia Jennings. And he, she, he goes, how do you do? And she goes, yeah, well, what I want to know is why are you going to leave Ava here and you're going to go to L.A. and you're just going to leave her here? And she started, like, right in on him, like, like just just totally telling him off, right? <laughs> I'm standing there. He's looking at her like, who is this woman? He goes, well, I have to go to L.A. and I can't take her with me right now. She goes, well, I'm going to take her with me. Get your bag. Get your bag. Get, get, get together. We're going to the airport. And so he was like, okay. And so all I know is that day, it, 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 my, my recollection was I got my bag checked and I said, okay, David, please call me when you can or something. You know, I'll, I'll try to find you or whatever. Yes. And he said, okay. But he was like totally freaked out about her coming just taking me away <laughs> he didn't know what to do he didn't understand that i had like a, a friend like her because i had never talked about her before yeah. but she just came in and took over and just took me and 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 took care of me we went to we went to jamaica to visit chris blackwell who chris blackwell was was in love with her at the time and we went and we hung out with bob marley and her number and and so um, then she took me back to L.A. with her, which is where David was. And so I, I had called Michael Lippman's office and I said, Michael, listen, can you please tell David that I, I'd like to speak to him? He goes, yeah, I'll tell him. So I said, here's my number. 
uh, and so he, I gave him numbers. So I was, said, I hope he calls me. I hope he calls me. So I'm staying with my girlfriend Claudia. She lived up in, uh, in the Hollywood Hills, and she was she was going. She was like the girlfriend of of um, the guy who in, who invented the monkey, uh, Bobby Hart. Oh yeah, have you ever heard of him before? Yeah, okay. Well, she she was living with him at the time. So I was there. All of a sudden, the phone rings. And and, she, and uh, somebody says for you, for me. I said, hello, it's Ava, it's David. I said, David, I'm so glad to hear from you. So glad to hear your voice. I missed you. All that stuff. And uh, he goes, where are you guys? I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready to come down there. And so I, she gave me the address and and so I said, okay. So next thing I know, the doorbell rings, open the door, and there's David with his suitcases. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. He came with all his suitcases. And so I looked at him and I said, David, why did you get your suitcases? This isn't my house. And so Claudia was standing sort of behind me, and she goes, that's okay. Bring him in. She was the coolest chick. She died, <laughs> though. She died in a car accident. And she was cool, man. She said, that's okay. But, but, but she was a real intelligent girl. She wanted, she was fascinated by who he was, too. And so she was willing to go on the adventure, whatever it was. Okay? She just was like, okay, yeah. come on in. And and so, and so I said, but I can't, you can't stay here in my, he, my here, her house. And so she goes, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. She calls Natalie Wood. I don't know if you knew who Natalie Wood and Robert Wagner were, yes. were, were very good actors over here. They had a they had a, a condo, a, a, a two bedroom condo in Century City, and they let her have the condo for two months, and we took David there. Mmm, blimey, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah we took him there, and uh, and uh, so he had his room uh, and. I mean, we had our room and she had her room, and um, you know that. And that place was where a lot of stuff went on. There was, you know, he was getting paranoid about you know some of these people in in LA, and and, and there was a whole lot of people that was supposedly trying to uh, hex him and all this other stuff, all that sort of thing. And so he was kind of in a very delicate emotional state when we stayed in that apartment. I remember. He wrote. He 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 recorded "Wild as the Wind" while we were there, though. Wow, God, that's quite a story, isn't it? Actually, that that whole period, because yes, his dark, his dark period of Alistair Crowley and cocaine, and um... yes, yes, it was like whoever these people were, you know, that he was, that he had, he had obviously hung out with those people before. Well, we were in Jamaica and all that stuff. By the time I got to LA, there was like you know some negative with those people around and i remember we went to some party there was supposed to be a uh, with Alistair crawley it was some it was some kind of cult people we went there and and when we went in like david was like after about 10 minutes was like let's go he didn't want to stay there any longer i didn't know what was going i really excuse me and truly didn't know what was going on with it i i didn't Yes, well, absolutely. God, spooky stuff, actually. And then, and, and I then... didn't want to know either. I didn't want to know because it seemed it did seem spooky to me. And I and I said, David, why are you so upset? What is going on? Now that part, he didn't he didn't tell me. This was at the end, towards the end, towards the very end. Yes. And um, God, you know, then uh, then he stayed with us, and then he left, 
And then me and Claudia stayed together and, and, and lived together for a bit. And I saw him a couple of times more after that. And uh, then I then I went, uh, Claudia had been sort of dating Ronnie Wood at the time. And the, and the Stones, and, you know, I was friends with the Stones because of David, so I knew Mick and I knew Keith and everything. Keith, I love Keith. And and um, they, had in, they had invited Claudia, or they had invited um, her to Montauk, or, um, sorry, Ronnie did. And then she said, well, I'm with Ava Cherry. And she, he goes, oh, bring Ava, bring Ava. So, you know, this was at the end when, this was at the end when I just was, you know, tearful all the time and, I was I was just so 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 unhappy about you know our situation, and so we flew, we flew to uh, to New York, and the Stones picked us up in a in a limo, and then we went back to Montauk, which is they were getting ready to do the Steel Drums tour, and uh, so you know you know I, I was I was feeling good that I was with her, she was looking after me, and and that and that I was going to be hanging around with the Stones, who I felt comfortable around as well, you know, so I. We were there. We got. They were rehearsing when we got in, but Mick wasn't in the room at the time. He had he had had an accident. He, he had fallen through a glass and and cut his arm, and his arm was in a cast. So I so I remember that it was just Ronnie and Keith and um, and the rest of the guys, and then we were all like laughing and everything. And then all of a sudden, Mick wanders in and sees me because we, we all used to hang out together, right? And so um, and then it was time to to retire and of course Mick grabbed me because he knew me right <laughs> yeah, so like, I mean I mean I just I, I naturally you know wanted to hang out with him because he was close to David too yeah and so uh, um, and, he, and he really did he really did help me through it a little bit you know just helped me to not feel so so despondent, you know. Um, uh, but then David found out I was there with Mick, and then he wouldn't speak to me. Oh, are you still there? <laughs> yes. Oh, so so he was like, so he became quite jealous. Was this in the eight? Because I was going to say, what decade is is this in the? Because the Steel Wheels tour was kind of in the eighties, wasn't it? Yeah, this is the Steel Drum tour. Steel drum, steel drums. Yeah. They were the the reggae steel drums tour. Oh, the steel drum, yes. Oh, right. So, and so I guess that's the last time you saw Dave. There's a picture of me. There's a picture of me from the steel drums tour with Mick sitting at the table in the morning, and this me and Mick are sitting at the table. I, I'll send it to you if you want it. That that was that that time. Annie Leibovitz took it. Okay, blimey. So that that was kind of quite a moment, really, wasn't it? So. Yes. It was. It was. I mean, I was glad to know that he was jealous, but at the same time, he wouldn't talk to me. When yes. I tried to, I tried to call after I left Montauk. I tried to call him, and um, and uh, I called Mainman, and I said, "Listen, I'm, I I need to speak to David. If you could just get him a message." And, he, and so somebody there said, well, "He's not. He's not going to talk to you." I'm like, "Why?" Because you were in Montauk, and I I was like, "Oh." Is okay, it... I kind of, I kind of wanted to make him jealous, but I mean, of course, I loved him, but I just, I, I didn't think he was going to say he wasn't going to talk to me at all. He was really upset about it. Oh dear, this is all so tricky. And that was that was kind of that was kind of the beginning of the end, my friend. Yes, and then and then with 
you know, after you've had this incredible kind of adventure, what, how do you sort of then pick yourself up and then find the next path in your life? Because, you know, I sort of... Uh, it, it was difficult. I got to tell you, I, 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 I was so... It took me a couple of years to, to be okay. But what I did was, I, I was good, because what I did was I came back to Chicago... And I started getting involved with Kurt Tom Records, which was Curtis Mayfield's label. And they decided to sign me. So I started, I was busy. I didn't have time to, to you know, be moping and sad. I started working on a record and Curtis Mayfield produced a couple of tracks on it. And so I, I felt happy in that. I mean, I, David was always in the back of my mind. He was always there somewhere after I finished, but it helped. It was like healing to me. That's what I'm saying to you. It was like a fairy tale, David, because it was like every time an episode would happen that it took me down and I and I had to readjust myself, something else happened that that, that brought me back. And and that was it. When, when, when Kurt Tom decided to sign me, oh, I was so happy. Yes. <laughs> I was so happy. I would imagine. Uh, because I had, I had actually begged David while, when we did the Astronauts record, I said, David, I, I love doing this record. And we didn't finish it. It was it was all demos. And Tony DeFries released the demos. They were not finished tracks. They were demos. And and, and I, but I had said to him, listen, I'm going to work with a black producer too because, you know, maybe you won't be around and I want to be able to relate to my own demographics as well. But he wouldn't let me work with anybody else. He he wouldn't he wouldn't let me work with anybody else. Tony Sylvester, he, he tried to produce me. He wouldn't let him produce me. So mm. that that was how that ended up. Mm. God, that's such a that's such a. So is this the the album? Because you did an album in the eighties called Ripe, which was a sort of um... yes, yes, yes. It's out right now again. Actually, it's a, a reissue. <laughs> it's out now. It's doing good. So, so in the eighties, you sort of do pick yourself up a bit because you do that album, Streetcar Named Desire, Picture Me. Um, so there, there are things kind of happening for you after that kind of really difficult period. Oh yeah, I mean, I was I was always recording after that. I mean, I recorded some great material. I did, and I I, I I'm patting myself on the back. The problem was it was always I had gotten signed to Capitol Records twice and two times and I was signed by the president. Um, but 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 they never had in Capitol for a long time. They did not have black promotion in place. So none of the black artists got promoted. And so when you put a record out and I know those two records I did were really good records. There was no promotion there. So so, you know, it didn't happen because of non-promotion. And when I went to tell the president, uh, 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 what was his name? Um, God, I used to really like him. Um, well, anyway, he was like, okay, we're going to put promotion in there. But they never did. So if you if you understand how record companies work, if you don't put promotion in for that genre of, of artists, you know, R&B, street urban, pop, rock, whatever, you're not going to get any traction. And we there was nobody in those departments to push my record. No, to push any black artists that were out there at the time yes. on that, that label. And it must have, because you also, you do also star in this film, don't you, 20 Feet from Stardom, which I saw a few years ago, which was quite an amazing one about the sort of the world of the, the kind of backup singer. So within that time of trying to make it 
on your own as well as being sort of, you know, like, yes, kind of working with all these other people. Was that difficult to balance that that kind of act, you know, thinking, well, actually, this is going to pay me a little bit of money, whereas this is kind of me being the front person? Oh, no, I love being the front person because I did a lot of gigs and people loved me and they received me well. You know, like I said, the only problem was this capital spent like, like you know, $300,000 on that album of, of uh, Streetcar Named Desire. Right. And, 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 and they, they spent lots of money. And I said, well, why don't you take the money and put it into promotion instead of recording and full-page color ads? But nobody listened. Nobody listened. They did whatever they wanted to. And, 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 and they would pick the single instead of letting the you pick it or whatever. So if it was wrong, it was your fault in the end. Do you know what I'm saying? That's how it worked in those days. Yes. You know, uh, and, and but I mean, uh, I will say I had the best musicians in production. I did. And, mm. I, and, I, and you know, um, the fact that, that uh, two times, that I capital signed me two times, and each time they did not promote and they did not have black promotion in place. Yeah. And did you, I mean, did you manage over the last few decades then? You obviously have been very busy. And in last year, you brought out a couple of singles, didn't you? In, in My Soul yes, and yes, tes, um, yes. Testify My Love and Heart heartbeat and let's dance as well so you obviously you know you, you know has there because I've spoke to a lot of people on in the world of on the wonderful world of music and entertainment and sometimes there is a period where people just go that's it I'm not doing it anymore it's de not destroyed my life but it hasn't been good have you did you also have any periods like that or have you always stuck with play you know singing um, and music? no I did have moments like that of course you do of course you do because because you know why? Because when I got press, when I got write-ups about those albums, everybody said this is this is really a good good album or a great album. And if it doesn't go, it's not because of Ava Cherry. It's because of the record company management, poor promotion, whatever. You know, I mean, I always, I always, for some reason, I was unlucky. in the, when it came down to that part of it, I always got with these people who didn't want to promote. They didn't want to put promotional dollars. And without promotional dollars, I don't give. I don't care whether you're a superstar. Even Michael Jackson, towards the end, had to put lots of promotional dollars to get his records promoted. You understand? It's not like it's not easy without promotion. You listen to the radio now. There's crap on the radio, but somebody's promoting it with money. So it, it, even if it's crap, it can still go. Yes. You know. Absolutely. And so that's that's what it is. I mean, there's so much good music. In yeah, and and how's and how's this kind of the last year been for you as a sort of an artist, you know, as a singer? With COVID, you mean? <laughs> yes, I know. Oh man, I mean, well, the weird part about it is when I did testify that that was received well, but something else happened. I we had hired the the label Wake of Music that I was with had hired. Uh, independent promotion to work billboard and of course there was no billboard dance charts because there was no clubs open yes so in march when we released the record the clubs closed so it wasn't i wasn't able to go out and promote yes so how we did well on another level it did well on another level but it was just it, it just the, the whole the whole understanding 
that this is a business and it's got to be done a certain way. And if you don't want to spend the money, you're not going to necessarily be successful. There's a certain amount of money that you got to spend to make a successful record, unless it's just out of the box. That happens very rarely. Yeah. Okay. That you, you know, it mostly it's that you got to promote. You know, and you got to put promotional dollars behind things. You know what I'm saying? And you got to because if nobody sees, if nobody sees the promotion, then they don't know it's there. It can just be hidden somewhere. I know, yeah. and it's it is yeah, I'm absolutely. I mean, in this day and age, and also because of so many more different things to um, well, I suppose yes, all the social media platforms that we didn't have in the sort of the old days as well, which has kind of changed it from Instagram yeah, to all, yeah, all those yeah, things. Yeah, I mean. But I got so, so much more. I mean, like, I mean, I television and, 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 and write-ups and all that. I got a whole lot of that. But 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 anyway, yeah. I mean, it's the truth of the matter is, if you if you want to have a hit, you got to have some money. If you're going to do it on your own, you got to have some money to really promote. But also, the thing is to keep your keep yourself out there because I just did two weeks ago. I got People Magazine did a, a, a big article on me, and I people responded on that article that I hadn't talked to in like you know ten years, and like all of a sudden they wanted to talk to me because I was in People, because that was a good magazine to be in. So it's all about the publicity and the promotion and all that, my friend. Yes, all you people out there, all you would be performers, you know, you got to make sure the business is. Right, you got to make sure you got people that can put some kind of money behind it. Otherwise, it can just lay there. Yes. So it sounds like because you've you've had quite a lot of releases and reissues recently. Is there anything that you're kind of working on or have got planned for the next couple of years? Oh yeah, I don't know about the next couple of years, but the next year. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, we're working on a film about, you know, my, well, uh, about a lot of things in my life, but mostly about my life with David Bowie. Yeah. I've got a director who um, is, you know, we're, we're working on that right now, and we've got, like, you know, serious interests on it and everything like that. We've been working on it for about the last year and a half. And uh, so that's going to, we're probably going to start working on that in the summer. Yeah. And I'm really excited about it. It's going to have animation in it and everything. It's going to be really cool. I know. It's um that mm-hmm. I was going to say it's kind of interesting. There's been a lot of films coming out recently from bands and artists from the sort of um I suppose the eight, more the 80s in a way um than anything else. Yeah, um, like Queen and Queen and yeah, and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to this film. This is going to be such an incredible film. This yes. is the director, she's brilliant. She's brilliant. She has a bunch of stuff out now. She's up for a Tony Award, um, an Emmy Award. Uh, is it a Tony? Uh, she she um, directed something for HBO, but she's up for one of those awards. from. And so I'm working with a director that's actually out there working, and, and everybody loves her. And then she said, Ava, she came to me, she said, Ava, I want to do a story about you about because I'm doing a story about strong women, women who got involved with incredible artists and helped their careers with this that, and the other. And but I don't want to. I, it's not a story about David Bowie. It's your story that David Bowie is in. And I'm like, okay. So we're we're doing that right now. I've got a, a CD coming out and uh, of some stuff that was never released that I recorded that I never released. Uh, over let's say the last 10 years but sounds really great and i'm gonna do i'm gonna put that out next month and so i'm just gonna keep going babe 
Oh, good one. Look, just last one of the last questions then. Um, what if you could have said something to like your 16 or 18 year old self starting out in that interesting world that is entertainment? And I have to say your story about France is still quite boggling. I am just still I am still digesting all that because it's quite phenomenal. <laughs> It is quite phenomenal. Um, I mean, what would you have said to, you know, if you could have just said something or if, if not that person, just the wisdom and the experience you've had, if you could just have a few things that you would just tell anybody now, what, what would that be? Because it's always curious because obviously you've learned an awful lot. Well, are you saying am I supposed to be in the lens of when I was 18? Well, no, I'm just wondering. Well, actually, I think it's more, actually, it's not the best worded question, is it? It's more to do with what your kind of bullet points, you know, a couple of bullet points that you would just kind of write down to, you know, if you could have told your younger self all the things that you would have just told anybody today who was starting out in music and you or entertain or just life and you just said, have a great time, enjoy it. But there's just a couple of things I would just, you know, I would oh, just... Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. For sure, absolutely, I would have been more savvy about the business. For sure. Because what happened was, you know, I was I was on that, uh, on some outtakes of David's, but I was on the whole Young Americans album, and when they did a couple of commercials of Fame, for some reason, my name wasn't by fame, but it was on every other song. And when they called me up for this commercial and said, we're going to pay you and you're gonna, it's going to be da, da, da. And then they called me back and said, oh, we can't pay you because the record company said your name wasn't on the back of the record, so you can't get paid. And I mean, it was like thousands that that commercial was. They, you know, I was supposed to get like 100,000, 50,000, 100,000 or whatever. And I didn't get it because... My name wasn't there, so so I I you know I didn't I didn't have like the funds to just take you know go to court and, and hire big lawyers. But I told this one particular lawyer friend of mine about the situation, and he goes, "I'm going to take the case for you because this is bullshit. You you know you deserve something out of this. You did this, and they're trying to take it away from you." And we went to David's estate, and this is a couple of years ago, like three, four years, four years ago maybe. And um, David was sick, I guess, by then. I mean, I mean, I'm, no, I'm sorry, three, four. It was, it was before. It must have been like uh, he died in 2016. It must have been like in 2014 or something like that. Um, I said, I'm not going to take this. And and anyway, maybe long story short, the lawyer sent notices to the estate and and uh and and they were like, oh she's not on it you're not she wasn't on it blah, blah. And, and and i'm like i was on it i was on it. so anyway they they wouldn't really answer us we kept asking them things and but they wouldn't answer us and then finally my lawyer got fed up he goes listen you guys had better answer us about this otherwise we are going to get that master and we're going to pull her voice off of it and then we're going to bring everybody into court yes. and they answered us and guess what? Now my name is there on Fame on all the new ones. Oh, <laughs> fantastic. So does yeah. that mean that you get royalties from that now? Yes, that's what it means. Hey, that's nice. <laughs> that's nice. And I fought for that. I fought, my wife says I, 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 it's a badge of honor for me because there's so many artists that get just jerked around when they were there, when they were on things, and, they, and, and, and people tried to say they weren't. They tried to say I wasn't on it. I'm like, what do you mean I wasn't on it? Everybody saw me in the studio that day. I was the only artist that was. I was the only woman there. Yeah. Besides Yoko. 
Well, absolutely. You know, and they tr- and they tried to they tried to keep me out of it because you know there was a lot of people that really just didn't like me because I was so close to David and they hated me. They wanted to destroy me. I mean, somebody said to me that you know, girl, you had a lot of daggers in your back. You didn't even see them. I I did. It was I I always took people. I always was. I tried to be nice and sweet, and I never I never looked at people as being mean. Because I was never mean. People have come up to me since those days and said, Ava, I said, what was I like? He said, you were so sweet and so nice. You never acted like you were better because you were David or or anything like that. You were just, and I was. I I didn't know how to be mean. You know, and so I I think if I was going to tell people, I'd be, watch everybody in your back around you because there are going to be people going to be against you. And, and, And also... Definitely take care of the business end of it. Make sure your paperwork is right. Make sure everything is together. Otherwise, down the line, you're going to get screwed. Yes, this is true. This is all very true, isn't it? Well, I'm pleased that sorted out because, you know, as as I sort of uh, mentioned earlier, and you've, you've you've got the film, haven't you? Wait, I just got I just got it. Wait, wait, Dave. I just got a statement, and and and, and the statement is like same, 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 same. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yes. I had to laugh because they had to give it to us because we fought for it. And I and I, I'll never forget that lawyer that did it for me. He said, I'm not gonna let him screw you. Yeah. That's what they you know, the co- copyrights and everything. You know, I mean I, I didn't write it but I was on it. So that was a yes. and I would just say to every I would just say to all of you aspiring artists out there, believe in yourself. I don't care whether somebody tells you you can't do it. Now, I mean, if you really can't, I, I mean, and you you believe in you are, I, I, you know, I think if you if you're smart and if you're really creative, you're gonna you're gonna be able to say you can do what you can do. But don't let anybody tell you you can't do it. When they're telling you you can't, make that the thing that makes you say you can and make you makes you do it. Makes you just go. When people say to me right now, "Oh, you're never gonna do this," I'm like, "Watch me, watch me." Uh, you know, I don't care how old I get, but I'm looking pretty dang good. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. I feel better than I did 10 years ago. Good. Because, I, you know, I work out every day and I take care of myself and I'm just determined that I'm going to fulfill whatever my destiny is. And I'm working on other things, voiceover and commercials now, which I love. So I'm doing that. And so I'm just really excited about the future. And just uh, and just on that point, I mean, not the commercial, but I just um, have you ever thought of writing your book? Because I know that Dana Gillespie, you know, Dana Gillespie, she's just brought her yeah, book out, and and um, Cherry Vanilla. Well, she... yeah, I, I have thought we we have we we have a book that's that's kind of ready, but we don't have a publisher, so that's kind of hard to do. I've heard that getting a publisher is a nightmare, so we mm. haven't we're. We're trying to get ready to try to shop it and see yes. what we can do. Well, I just kind of realised because Lawrence, <laughs> I know Lawrence Mayers, who who David worked with before Tony DeFries, and then he had a bit of a tricky meeting with him. Um, I mean, he's just brought his book out last year. You know, Dana Gillespie. You know, Vanilla um, Cherry Vanilla. So I just thought, you know, you know, obviously. Angie also brought her book out a few years ago. I just wondered if you, you know, you, you, you've got an amazing story. Do you? Oh yeah. Do you also have? Do you also have good photographs of that period? 
Um, which period? Well, basically your life. Do you, did, did you manage to photograph? Have you managed to have good photographs of your life? You know, that you you can... Well, I mean, I, I, there's, there's a lot of photographs of me and David that you could take that are just public domain. But, but yeah, I mean, I don't have personal, like, pictures like that. Uh, but I have photographs of my life, of different things that I've done in my life, yeah. And people besides David, yeah. yeah. Yes. Well, then, well, when you put um, your book together, it would be good to have them, that's all. Because I must admit... Oh, no, no, I know. Listen, listen. The point is, is that I am going to do the. I mean, the book is already written. It's written, babe. We wrote it last year, but we're just trying to get a publisher. I think it's right now. It's going to be better for us to get the film, and then the book will be easier to do. Yes. I mean, the book will be easier to put out because the film is something totally different, and the director she is like totally gung ho in it, and the people that want to work with us are like totally into what we're trying to do right now. So I'm going to concentrate on the film right now, and then I'll deal with the book. Nice. Well, this is fantastic. I'm so excited. I have to say, you know, this is brilliant. Oh, yes. But I'll have to um, look. This has been fantastic. I'll have to um, I will remind you if you get a chance on, on the photograph. I'd love to see this picture of you and um, that uh, Annie Libowitz are taking because I've, I've never seen it, actually. Oh, oh OK. Yeah, I just find that picture for you. With, it's just a picture of me and Mick yeah. sitting at the table. Nice. Well, it's, um, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and you know, the Rolling Stones are like really good, good friends of mine. You know, like whenever they come here, Keith gives me front row. I mean, uh, front row tickets, priority VIP passes. They're always sweet and 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 nice and loving. They are nice one. Well, look, that's fantastic. And I, that's, I kept. <laughs> I wanted to keep my friendship with them, you know, because like if, once they turn on you. That's it. They once they don't like you anymore. <laughs> you know, and you were if you, you got to you know talk about anything to do with them. But you know, I, I I was really they really all liked me and thought I was a cool person. But yeah, so so David, I hope you got what you need, darling. Yes, well, and 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 more. This has been amazing. Your story, I have to say, your story has been amazing. Look, take care and have a lovely day, and I'll I'll keep in touch. But thank you ever so much for your time. Okay, so so now when, when am I going to be able to hear this? Well, what I what I can do um, when I put it together, I'll I can send you the link, and then you can put it up on you know your your page, your Facebook page, and um, oh great, we can great, take we great, can great. we can take it from there. But it's great. Look, this has been fantastic. Okay. Thanks a lot, and. All um, right, yeah. Uh, no problem, no problem. Have a lovely day. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, you too. And and just so keep me posted, darling. Okay. I will. Are you gonna? Are you, uh, do you need a picture for it? Yeah. Well, I. It would be great to get a photograph. And like I said, I'd love to also see this one of you and Mick. So, um, I'll I'll drop. Okay. You. All right. All right. Well. Uh, when is your deadline on it? When is your deadline? Oh, on it? um, next or oh, next Wednesday. Would be good. All right, so I'll, I'll I'll have something for you by the beginning of the week, picture wise. Oh, you're a star! Look, lots of love. All right, darling. All right, I hope I get to meet you someday, darling. Yeah, take care. Thanks, Ava. Take care. Bye bye. All right, David. Cheers. Take care, babe. Bye. Bye bye. And that is how you end an interview. I know. I like to fumble around. I'm English, and that is also the end of the interview. Just in case you didn't know, and you're still you're still awake. Well done. You deserve, um, I don't know, a Blue Peter badge or a Cracker Jack pencil. Right. A big thank you to Ava Cherry for giving me the time for that interview. 
as a, um, yes, I know. I was probably very grovelly, but that's life. Um, the legend, really, and hopefully with more projects coming out this year and next. Um, this has been David Eastall, The C86 Show. If you want to contact me, I know, how exciting. You can on Facebook, twi- uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, just do C86 Show. Also, these have all been archived, all these interviews, and there's lots on David Bowie, but mostly on the 80s indie pop. You can find those on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, do C86 Show. It's all good. Take care. Stay safe.